Last year, back in the wonderful days of homeschooling, we started every morning as a family by reading the Bible together. And we had some great discussions um, as part of this. I distinctly remember one morning where we'd been reading the Bible and then this led to a discussion about forgiveness and holding grudges and letting go of things and being kind and all that sort of stuff. And it felt like it was going really, really well. The kids were really engaged. They were asking good questions. I felt like the me- the best mum discipler in the world. And I was like ready to teach my children anything. And then one of the kids said to me, mum. And I was like, yes, son, ask me anything. I'm ready. Uh, and he goes, um, yesterday, he, as in his brother, um, took my toy sword without asking and he didn't give it back. So can you tell him to give it back now? And I was like, oh my gosh, like everything we've just talked about just fallen on deaf ears. Like it was some kind of academic exercise, but it hadn't really got through. And he still had this kind of it's not fair attitude. And do you know what? I'd like to think that we grow out of that attitude, but I'm not entirely sure that we do. And we see that in our passage today. Now, if we look at the wider context of Luke 12, then what we see is Jesus is on fire in this passage. Like it's Jesus, so obviously he's always on fire. He's always great. But, you know, sometimes he tells riddles and he often asks questions. But in Luke 12, he's kind of really going for it with like preaching and teaching and delivering some real nuggets. Um, It actually says that he was speaking to his disciples, but it also says that many thousands of people had gathered around, and so many that they were trampling on each other to get closer. And at this point, Jesus is talking about hypocrisy and how it's most tempting to those with outward success, like like we see in the Pharisees, really. He's warning against that and he's teaching his dynamite. And I think it was probably a really interesting environment because he's he's basically talking to his closest friends, his nearest and his dearest. And he's like giving them the real the the gold. But then there's this huge crowd have have gathered around because they want to hear it too. Um, And they're hanging off his every word. Um, He then goes on to to tell them not to be afraid of death or of persecution, but instead to fear God and to fear hell. Like this is some hardcore lessons. It's not the kind of God loves everyone lessons, um, which are obviously really valid. But these are the lessons that are like, wake up, you are going to be persecuted. You might even have to die for what you believe in, but have no fear for those things. And despite that, despite the fact that this is like the real hardcore stuff that the disciples need to to hear, this crowd have gathered and they're hanging off his every word. This is radical teaching like they've never heard before. It's real life and death stuff. And Jesus goes on to say that there is great reward for the faithful. God's faithfulness right back at you. But there's a terrible penalty for the faithless, denial and disgrace before the throne of God. And Jesus is calling the disciples and therefore all the people who are straining to hear what he's saying to committing wholeheartedly to God. It's all in. You either live or die. You either follow or fear. 
what are you going to do? And then this guy comes forward from the crowd and I kind of imagine him as like a weaselly, sniffly guy, like, um, excuse me, excuse me, Jesus, I've got a question for you. But let's be honest, he was probably a normal guy, just like you and me. And Jesus looked at him and Jesus saw him and he lets him ask this question. And maybe in that moment, Jesus was like me, like, yes, my son, ask me anything. But given that he was fully human and fully God, I reckon he knew what was coming. And the guy asks about his inheritance. The man wants Jesus to tell his brother to give him the inheritance that he is due. Now, I would totally want to know all the details here. Inheritance was really important in that culture. And the norm was that the firstborn son would get two shares of the inheritance when the father dies. So if there were four sons, then instead of everybody getting 25% each or a quarter, then the oldest would get 40%. So they would get two fifths and the other three would get one fifth or 20% each, if that makes sense. Um, and if there were daughters, then they would get a dowry instead of inheritance. But let's not go down that garden path today. So this man who's come to the front and he's like, excuse me, Jesus, can you tell my brother to give me my inheritance? He's asking Jesus to help him. And he's claiming that his brother hasn't given him his inheritance. And like I said, I would want to know all the information. I would want to know, are you the firstborn who's due to two portions? And um, if you are, then who's not giving it to you and how have they got it? Or are you one of the other brothers that feels like you're the eldest shouldn't get two portions and um, therefore you it should be equally spread? I would want to know what the father had written in the will and was that clear beforehand what should happen and who's got the money currently and who's keeping it um, and all that sort of stuff. And I'd be like in with the mediation. But Jesus sees that this isn't an issue of righteousness. This isn't an issue about getting what you're due. Jesus doesn't ask any of these questions that I want to know or give that advice. And in fact, he out and out refuses to be a mediator in this situation. Instead, he sees into the guy's heart. He sees what's really going on. And he speaks into that using a parable. So it says, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves. It is not rich, but is not rich toward God. So in this parable, Jesus is showing the disciples and this man who's asked the question, someone who was successful or lucky or blessed by God, depending on how you look at it. And they've had a great harvest. And the man in the parable had got to the point where he had more than enough. He had plenty. And he looked at it all and he had a problem. 
where to keep it all. So he knocked down his storage and he built more storage and he filled it and realised he would never have to work again. Now, let's have a look again at verse 18 and 19 and notice the amounts of I's and me's and my's that are in that section. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain. There's a you in there, but he's talking to himself, so it doesn't really count. You have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink and be merry. Do you know, this reminds me of the pandemic of 2020, not COVID-19, but the toilet roll pandemic of 2020. Do you remember that? Do you remember when there was no toilet roll in the supermarkets? And if you found some, it was like finding a gold ring or something because people were so worried for some reason that they were going to run out of toilet roll during lockdown that People bought, bought it, loads and loads of it, and stored it up in, I don't know, their bathrooms, their garages, whatever. Not everyone, some people had no toilet roll or very little. And some people then actually genuinely were worried that they were going to run out. But some people stored it up. They made their store bigger. Back to the parable. parable. His ambition of accumulating wealth was complete and it was time to retire. But that very night, he died. He had lived for retirement and then died before he enjoyed it. And many people might think that he was a success in the world. He earned lots of money, he saved well, and then he was ready to eat, drink and be merry and to enjoy it. But God calls him a fool. This is not what life is about accumulating things, food, money, materials. Remember, Jesus was telling this parable to answer a question from a guy who wanted his brother to give him his inheritance. What a fascinating answer this is. He tells this guy a story about a man who earns lots, keeps it all to himself and then dies. The man who'd come forward, he was saying, it's not fair, tell my brother off, it's not fair. He had that it's not fair attitude, give me what I'm due attitude. But Jesus was saying, no, it's not about money. It's not about having stuff. Let it go. See what happens when we look inwards, when we're looking at what we've got, how much we've got, what we want and how much we should be earning. Look what happens if we wait until we have enough to live life fully. We die. Now, as a family, we have been really blessed with some friends who have amazing houses down south and they've let us holiday in them, either by house sitting or visiting them. Um, There's three different houses in particular I'm thinking of. All of them have huge gardens. One even has a heated swimming pool in the garden and a pool house. One has got a massive maze uh, made out of bushes and you can play in there and get lost in there and it's loads of fun. They also have an enormous zip wire, not in the garden, but in the extra land that they own on the other side of the road. 
and one house is just beautifully furnished inside and out. And after being on holiday in these amazing places, when we return back to our home, our house seems so small, our kitchen inadequate, and our garden is tiny. I found myself dreaming of owning a house like one of these and how wonderful that would be. But then I find myself thinking of the bills because it probably cost a lot of money to keep these big houses running with um, electricity and uh, heating and aircon and all those things. And then I realised that we'd have to earn enough money each month to pay those bills. Um, and we'd need like a cleaner because they're enormous and I'm not going to be able to do all that cleaning myself. And we'd need a gardener and and then obviously I'd need an interior designer to make it look really good. And then I end up dreaming of a world where both me and Luke have incredible jobs. Like maybe Luke's a professional golfer and I run my own business and we earn like six figures a week or something. And so we can do anything we want with the money we've got. And sometimes I get lost in these daydreams and then I wake up and realise how totally fruitless it is. How dreaming of a life that isn't mine doesn't serve me and it definitely doesn't serve God. Both Luke and I work in ministry and we we really know what we're called to. We, we know that we're doing what God's asked us to do and called us to do. And we've seen God's provision and blessing over the years in lots of different ways. So why am I dreaming of having more instead of praising God for the blessings I've already received. Now, back to the passage. So the next bit that comes after this parable is a little bit surprising because after challenging these views on money and possessions and kind of making an example out of someone's greedy and covetous attitude, where's Jesus going to go next? He says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or Um, about your body, what you will wear, for life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? So, Jesus has now gone on to talk about worry, not to be afraid, because God will give us the whole kingdom. A couple of weeks ago, I was walking home when suddenly a bird fell out of the sky in front of me. It was starving hungry, its body was weak and really, really thin, and I think it had gone into some sort of organ failure. And I thought to myself, really? And the answer was no, not really. Of course a bird didn't fall out of the sky in front of me. That doesn't happen. Birds don't just starve and die because God provides for them. Jesus had been talking about money and possessions and now he's talking about worry. But he's not done a sudden left turn and gone off talking about something else. The two are intrinsically linked. Our desire for more is born out of our worry for having less. Our desire for more is born out of our worry for having less. And Jesus finishes like this. Do not be afraid, little flock, 
For your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. If someone's primary interests are of this world, if we dream of more money, bigger houses, faster cars, designer clothes, then that is where we will spend our time, energy and commitment. Instead, Jesus says, let's provide purses for ourselves that will not wear out. Let's think about what that actually means for a minute. Only God's resources are limitless and adequate to meet all of our needs all of the time. A purse that never wears out is a bottomless purse or wallet. One where the money can't stack up and stay in there because whenever you put something in, it drops out again. The opposite of building bigger storehouses is making bottomless purses. The antidote to developing an attitude towards money of holding it tightly, keeping it safe and using it cautiously is to develop an attitude of generosity. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Now, more than ever, our world needs outrageous generosity. Imagine this week going for a coffee with a friend and you offer to pay. But your friend insists because they say it's their turn to pay. And so you thank your friend, but instead you turn to the people behind you and offer to pay for their coffee instead. Imagine in a supermarket buying some groceries and you see an old lady on the bench who maybe she's waiting for a lift home or a taxi or something like that. And so you go and buy her the biggest bunch of flowers in the store just to bless her. Imagine your friend has their bike stolen in town and so uh, you go and buy them a new one. Or imagine someone in your fire group finds their car in need of repairing and so your whole group clubs together to cover the cost. What about this? Imagine wearing a brand new jumper to the pub this week and someone says, oh, I really like that jumper, that's cool. And so you just take it off and give it to them. In the 13th century, there was a friar called Juniper who was outrageously generous. Every time he went out, he would come back only in his underwear because he would have met someone who was poor or homeless or in need in some way and he would just take off his clothes and give them away. Eventually, it happened so many times that he got told he had to stop doing this. He was actually forbidden from giving away any more clothes. The very next day he went out as he always did and as usual he met someone who was in need and he said to the man, I'm really sorry, I can't give you my clothes, I'm not allowed to. However, should you take them from me, I won't stop you. And he stood there while this man took his clothes and once again he returned back to his brothers only wearing his pants. Imagine being that outrageously generous. Imagine seeing a homeless guy in the street and instead of offering to buy him a McDonald's, you offer to buy him a takeaway from an amazing restaurant in York. 
Imagine those small moments where instead of building our storehouse bigger, instead of worrying about the money we have in our bank, we unzip our wallets and we let the money flow out. Because it isn't our money anyway, it's God's money. And he put it into the purse and you get the joy of pouring it out, knowing and trusting that he will fill it up again. Imagine being as free as a bird when it comes to money and food and stuff and not worrying at all, but freely giving and freely receiving. What strikes me most in all of this is that it would be really easy to believe that we can have both. We can earn lots of money. We can earn enough to have all the stuff that we want and live the life that we desire. And we can also have a bottomless wallet. But I don't think we can. Because if our posture is one of grabbing and holding on and holding tight, then it can't also be one of open hands, open arms, open heart. So what do you choose? How do you want to live? Do you want a bottomless purse? A wallet that never wears out? A bank account that you don't have to worry about? Now is the time, G2, for radical generosity. And I challenge you this week to look for opportunities to do that. Let's finish now with the posture prayer. Now, this is quite a physical prayer. If you've been at GT for a little while, you probably will have experienced it. Um, We've done it a few times. If you've never done it before, that's totally fine. It's really easy to join in with. The words will come up on the screen and I will lead us through it. If you're watching in a group at home or something, then do you know what? I encourage you to stand up and uh, get, get ready to do some praying using our whole bodies. So we start with our hands in a fighting position like this. If there's kids in the room, then get them to join in as well. And we say these words. I confess that my natural human posture is to fight, to be aggressive, to get what I want and seek power and control. And then we lift our hands up into the air. And we say these words, but I choose as a follower of Jesus to hold up my hands in a posture of surrender, to say to God, I give up, I'm not in control and I trust in you. And then we take our hands as if we're holding reins, so we hold on tight here and we say these words. I confess that my natural human posture is to take, to hold, is to keep. And then we open our arms up as if to receive a gift. And we say, but I choose as a follower of Jesus to open up my hands and my life in a posture of generosity. Freely I receive. And we pause. Just take a minute now to think about all you need from God to get through this week.
Maybe you need patience. Maybe you need grace. Maybe you need the gift of time. Maybe you need provision. Just ask God for those things now. And then we say, everything I have, I give away. And the final one, we cross our arms across our chest like this. And we say these words, I confess my natural human posture is to spectate, is to judge, is to critique. And then we open our arms as if for a hug. And we say, but I choose as a follower of Jesus to open my life in a posture of mission, to say to other people, to say to the lost, to the last, to the least, here I am. Amen.